Want to help yourself and others process past traumas without having to re-engage with the memories attached? Are you weighed down by your emotional baggage and ready to check it for good? Do you feel drawn toward a career in wellness where you can heal yourself and facilitate the healing of others? The Somatic Activated Healing Method, aka the SAW Method, is a revolutionary wellness practice combining the healing modalities of somatic movement, rhythmic breathwork, positive affirmations, and dynamic meditation as developed by Sadi Simone. This transformative experience has the power to help resolve past trauma, process present pain, and fortify resilience for the future. Students have called the method better than three years of therapy and report a 93% transformation rate after practicing somatic activated healing. This is life-changing work. Want to get involved? We are currently accepting students for our next round of SAW Method teacher training, which kicks off in January 2023. Join our certification program and get on the cutting edge of modern wellness. As a Spiritually Sassy Show listener, we're offering an exclusive 10% discount on your registration. Visit SAWMethod.com and enter the code PODCAST to join today. That's SAWMethod.com and enter the code podcast for 10% off and join today. Welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show, my darlings. And oh my goodness, today's guest blew my mind. You're going to hear me cry in this episode. You're going to hear me laugh. Oh my goodness. This was like, ah. You know, the reason why I do this show, it's just like I'm being educated. I'm transforming, healing, um, educating. All the things are happening in this beautiful uh, show. I'm so profoundly grateful and so honored to introduce you to Dr. Jennifer Mullen. She is affectionately nicknamed as the Rage Doctor by peers and clients. Dr. Jennifer Mullen is trained as a clinical psychologist and is a published author. She currently serves communities as a consultant for behavior and mental health organizations and schools, ancestral wound worker, and CEO and founder of Decolonizing Therapy. Dr. Mullen seeks to unpack the oppressive legacy of modern mental health practices and reconnect practitioners and clients to the roots of our wounding and healing within a social political lens, most particularly for queer, indigenous, black, brown people of color. She has been featured in Allure, GQ, The Today Show, Cosmopolitan, Calgary Journal, and was selected by Essence Magazine to receive the 2020 Essential Hero Award in the category of mental health. Enjoy this episode. It is the Lishi us. And don't forget, if you love the show, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your community, share with your friends. I love you all. Many blessings. Get into this episode. Mwah. All right, my love, and welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. 
Oh my God, we are so honored and excited to have you here. And I'm loving the hair. I miss my long hair. <laughs> well, I like your hair. I'm loving the, what is it, a coif, a little? You know. I don't know what it is, honey. It's doing her own thing these days. <laughs> so listen, thank you for joining us. And I want to get right into it. First mm -hmm. question I ask every guest is, who are you right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say right now I'm definitely a cat mom. <laughs> um, I am a student, like a real student of the universe in this moment. I am a student of A Course in Miracles for like the 18th time because I never finish. Um, I am also really learning how to be um, as boundary filled and transparent um, in this iteration of self with my relationships, mm -hmm. you know, like, like my mom would be like, don't, you know, you have hair on your tongue or, you know, you're, you know, speak from your chest, speak your truth. And so I feel like I am literally speaking all the truths for all the people in my family systems that never have, but in a more loving, non-punitive way. Mm, oh my God. Yeah. So many things you said, I want to talk about the punitive uh, aspect. And I also just briefly want to hear What's been like a big takeaway from the Course in Miracles this yeah. time around? Yeah, um, I would say the biggest thing is that um, this like separation, this sense of separation with self and God. Um, as somebody who grew up, I never felt truly Catholic, but I grew up within the Catholic church and like grandmother and mother, everybody, you know, Abuelita, everybody was very Catholic. And so as a recovering Catholic, um, I kind of, ugh, I would cringe when it was like, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you know, I, I had for many years a really big reaction and it wasn't until I was going through my own divorce separation back in 2007, 2008, where, um, A Course in Miracles came along and really was like speaking of forgiveness, right? And I'm, like, I'm not ready forgiveness who's forget? like, <laughs> I don't need to forget, right? Like all of the, Right. Um, but understanding first that it was about a forgiveness, something deeper and that it wasn't about the other person, but it was also about my relationship with God and or source. And so A Course in Miracles has helped me relearn and recapitulate, rebalance this relationship with God, with Jesus as activist, with Jesus as truth sayer, with Jesus as brown person, right? As opposed to like the person on the wall that I saw and what they look like, and, you know, like reconnecting with that um, energy, but not in a very Catholic mm -hmm. guilt ridden, my mm -hmm. opinion, um, get on your knees and repent realm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. love this. And, you know, I think there is a degree of like um, navigating the waves of like, regret and remorse and repent when we do make a mistake, right? On the path of forgiveness. Can you speak a little bit about forgiveness in your own personal experience and how you guide your 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 patients, your clients, your students in that space? Because I think forgiveness is so misunderstood and so um people see it as like a as bypassing and and there it's it's such a for me it's like literally depending who's asking on the day that they're asking me and the mm -hmm. moment that they're asking me i always say the forgiveness was a catalyst to presence for me the forgiveness was a catalyst for me to begin to even like taste the nectar of liberation to begin to to decolonize my mind from the punitive systems that had been so ingrained, so hallucinated and so force fed that kept me in a state of rigidity and feeling the need to 
to just cancel people and push people away and not give them the benefit of the doubt and not see them as paradoxical creatures the same way that I am, that I can make mistakes, but I'm not my mistakes. You know, it was like a huge nectar, eye-opening um, um, state of, 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 of liberation that only when I practiced forgiveness, I started to like taste that nectar and, and smell the fragrance of, of, of the celestial um, experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love your description of the nectar um, because forgiveness can be really sweet. And I think um, initially, though, it feels really bitter for many of us. I, for me, I can't speak for myself and for the people that I often serve or work with. Um, I feel like there's a lot of resistance to forgiveness because it's somehow along the way, this rigidity has been implied that in order to forgive, we have to continue to allow, which is, I think many of us know is such bullshit, right? Like that, <laughs> that is not the truth. Um, so usually when I work with folks, and especially looking at one's like own decolonial journey and how we've been ingrained, what we've learned, what we not, one of the first things um, I offer someone or ask someone is sort of like, look at, let's look at the shame first, right? Like where, where does shame land in our bodies? Um, and I'm a really big fan of like looking at timelines and this is where like some of that generational stuff comes in, family systems. Cause a lot of times therapists, I know I was trained um, in all of my schooling, right? All of my very Western schooling, like it's about the family system. Like it goes back to the family system and the person's mind, family system and person's mind. And yeah, there's stuff there. Of course, I mean, I have stuff there. I did, you know, <laughs> yes. And, you know, we spend also all these other hours at our schools, around teachers, mentors, other institutions, environments, playgrounds, right? We spend time in our mother's wombs, right? Whether or not we knew our mothers, whether or not they had clean running water, whether or not they had um, insurance or healthcare, whether they were in their homeland, were they safe, were they persecuted, right? So all yeah. of this, yeah. whether or not it is always on our back or in our spine or on our shoulders, like a chip, it's, it's there, yeah, as well as um, are we disconnected and did our families and their systems, were they traumatized? Like, were my grandparents traumatized? They did not use that language. Let's just say that. <laughs> they were not using traumatized at all. We use this. But, you know, were they carrying a lot of things and were they just trying to survive? And was there shame in not surviving the right way? Was there shame in A, B, C, D, F, G and addictions and pick something, Right. Um, and so for me, it's really fascinating in my own process and with the people that I work with to look at this, like, wait, I might not be the first one to have sampled or tasted this bitter shame in this way. Um, and maybe it looked a little different, but wow, man, like seeing that, that line and also seeing how maybe people dealt with it or coped with it and how that might've impacted us. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of it with, mm -hmm. with the forgiveness piece. And I think that the other piece is also looking at, um, any of any, anyone's, uh, deeper, yeah, it goes with shame, but like, for me, it's rage or grief. And to me, they're two sides of the same coin, mm -hmm. right? And for me that the sacred rage and the sacred grief are not separate. They're not always visible at the same time for people, and they're certainly misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, when people think of rage, they're often thinking of like a kid or a dark skinned person, right? Like tantruming or burning things yeah. or yeah. messing things up. And it's like, 
We rage is internalized. We've learned to put on masks. We've learned how to be the imposter beautifully. That's right. right. And so I can keep going on about that. But in a nutshell, for me, forgiveness is about getting curious about all these sort of pain points. And with that curiosity, then opening to compassion. And sometimes that includes saying, hey, source, creator, universe, God, whatever you, ancestors, whatever you feel connected to, would they engage with you in that way? Are they still holding you on this ledge of uh, shame and doubt and you're not good enough and you ain't shit? Um, and then I feel like we can begin to look at forgiveness within ourselves and others in a, in a more kind of present day. But that's just sort of my... Mm, I love this so much. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so much to unpack here. This is so delicious. Thank you. And I can feel, you know, from just like talking to you, the this forgiveness is really embodied. And that leads me to talk about this sort of the, the punitive approach and how lack of forgiveness is part of the, the, the prison industrial complex and how we, we don't forgive, we punish, we don't restore, we, we isolate, we don't uh, invite anyone in um, unless they've been uh, punished to the degree that they've caused harm. And in my understanding of forgiveness is our capacity to really seek to restore and not to punish and to truly, when I, when I engage with people, and in you know my teachings, my students, and any, to any degree that people are, are seeking to be educated in my philosophy, it's very much the question: Are you willing to walk a path of nonviolence or not? And this is the word. I don't teach very black and white stuff. It's very paradoxical and very, and there's a lot of nuances. But to walk the path of spiritual liberation, for me, there comes a point where you actually have to ask and 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 walk this sort of like fine line. Am I walking a path of nonviolence or not? Am I willing to create a tray of peace or not? And and that really brings you to the edge of like, am I being punitive or am I being restorative? Am I am I allowing people to make mistakes and not? internalize their mistakes to be who they are? Am I opening myself up to see them in parts and to see myself in parts and to and to not really like, it's so subtle the ways that we punish each other. And then of course, the, the kind of larger systems at play. So I wanna, I wanna hear you talk about the, the punitive uh, uh, approach that we have towards ourselves and towards the world. And I think it kind of goes back to where you opened. I think the Catholic systems, this sort of bad theology that we have been indoctrinated into, it makes us believe that that we are just these like uh, bad people. And there isn't this like uh, um, sacred innocence and this like... Um, this like innate good nature and that unless we are punished, unless we're going through the punitive approach, we can't be, we can't be course corrected into being good humans. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and through my journey, it's been so big around like stop with the self-destructive behaviors before I even getting to stop them. It's about a realization that we have this basic goodness that we are innately good people and through punishment we will not be course corrected into becoming good or remembering our goodness we can only remember our goodness through restoration and and that doesn't mean that people are not responsible for the harm that they've caused they're not responsible for the cruelty and the destruction yes and also it opens the door to 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 give people a chance to be you know to go through recovery and to be rehabilitated into society as 
someone that made a mistake and their mistakes aren't who they are. And I always remind myself that we are a few decisions away from being in the same predicament as the next person, you know? Mm. So speak about this this punitive approach because you're using, I mean, you're right there, honey. I'm like, yes, honey, yes. <laughs> Thank you for this. Yeah, oh, right. As you were talking about the punitive stuff, I'm thinking to myself, like, that, like that's how I was raised. I don't, I don't know if anyone else can identify, right? But I, um, even with well-intentioned parents and a mom that's really close to me, you know, it was sort of, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. I'm going to take this away. Um, therapists, psychologists, social workers, right? Uh, same thing. If the child did not make a certain amount of points in the day, whether they're in a school system or a hospital mental health system, then maybe they won't get that treat or that snack or that reward at the end of the week, right? And so I believe that as a culture, at least psychologically, right? And even I would dare say it politically, and I say politically not like Democrats, Republicans, I'm saying politically as in like access and privilege and what have you. Um, I think it's clear that the punitiveness has started to become um, part of like the fabric of our exchange. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, like it, it's just in there. And for me, and the work that I do is about, hey, we got to slow down and be like, oh, shit, I'm doing that. Right. Like I've caught myself, I sometimes in my um, passion and how things channel through me, I can read shit I've wrote and <laughs> a year ago and be like, damn, that was a little more, <laughs> right? And I have to like sort of sit with, oh, well, I was, I was really hurt at that time, you know, and I was really hurting and I was watching these beautiful um Black bodies die in front of me in my communities and on TV. And I'm watching people we care about on COVID and like holding all this space for all this pain. And, and I bring this up to say um, the punitiveness, I believe, comes from fear, you know, um, a lot of pain that has not had the space to be sort of reflected upon or talked about felt through. Um, and also um, the punitiveness, I think sometimes for many people, not all can also come from this place of, well, you're not going to do this to me anymore. Like that, like this like boundary that feels like it needs to reverberate across generations. And I don't think people know how to always verbalize that. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's making but complete I, sense. Keep going. This is brilliant. Okay. 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 So I just feel like sometimes when we don't know how to say, hey, no, that doesn't feel good in all of these arenas in our lives, or no one cares that we're saying, hey, this doesn't fucking feel good. Mm -hmm. It becomes this armor. Right. And, and it's like, you're going to suffer and you're going to suffer. And all of you are this and all of that is da, 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 da. And so I also want to acknowledge that oftentimes, not always, but I know when I was working at a university for a couple 13 years, um, a lot of the students that would come in, not all were in their teens and 20s, but many just like that anger was on the chest, right? Like, like hanging, like, like a necklace, <laughs> right? Like a gold piece, like just of all races and identities, just whether it was that father, whether it was that this, was that out, identity, self, what you name it. And I started being able through them to also heal myself. Right? I felt like it was so oh, that yeah. was the word reciprocal, right? And I'm, I have no doubt you've, I've heard you say some very similar things. Mm -hmm. Um, and this sense I received with a punitive, I, I might not have used the term punitive, but uh, almost like a self-flagellation sometimes, 
you know, to keep it real, I would see people harming themselves in physical ways or through relationship, right? So the the punitiveness, I think, first begins Mm -hmm. itself and then begins to get projected and directed outward. And so um, I don't think that that journey, and I believe I've heard you say similar things or sing similar things. (laughs) Um, I don't think that that journey, though, is one that is like, Right. And I think we know that it is the journey. We hear, oh, it's a journey. It's a journey. I think many of us have said this, but until you're like, you know, pelvic deep <laughs> in that journey and then heart chakra deep, and then you're in the throat, I feel like there's all these layers and levels mm-hmm. of, oh, then, oh, then, oh, shit. Oh, I know nothing. <laughs> I hope that. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's it really is interesting. I think I, I started talking about the self-destructive uh, mechanisms that I had with like drugs and alcohol. Um, I I would I would engage with them as a way of punishing myself for over identifying with my mistakes as my mistakes were who I am. So therefore, if I am a mistake, then I have to be punished. And if I'm punished enough through drinking, smoking, partying, getting drunk, you know, the whole the whole culture. Um, I would then be course correct into being good. And it really starts with ourselves. We have to be very radically aware. How do we punish ourselves? And something I I, I asked one of my students uh, last week was like, where are you at? Like big feelings were present for them. And there's a big story present for them. And I said, okay, let's, let's let go of the story. Let's be with the big feeling. Okay, now that the big feeling, now that you're like, in, to use your language, pelvic deep in that big feeling, right? You're there. Um, what's what, like when, you, when the feelings are, is, is in you and alive, like, how do you want to respond to it? And it was through all these punishing narratives. It was through all mm. these punishing behaviors. And it's so big when we have this somatic awareness, this mindful, uh, gnosis of what's, what we do when we are feeling bad, we unconsciously seek ways to punish ourselves for feeling bad in hopes of feeling good. It's so twisted, you know? <laughs> it's so fucked. But you know, I think it goes back to 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 what we what we talked about. It's like it's so ingrained in our ancestors like they we're not that creative. You know, we are heart-centered when we are in our bodies, when we are living from that spirit, that source, that God, that Buddha, that that saintliness, that holiness inside of us the heart-centered way, we are then able to, to make creative uh, choices that will lead to sometimes to, to mistakes or not. But oftentimes we're just, you know, recycling the mistakes that our parents did, our grandparents did. We're not that creative in the ways that we're harming each other and harming ourselves. So presence and pause and, 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 and this like self-awareness and this deep somatic inquiry of what's living in our bodies helps us to say, wow, I'm doing the same shit that they've been doing. I'm carrying the same feelings. I'm just regurgitating in a new way. It looks a little different, but it is the same fucking shit, you know? So thank you for speaking to that. And that leads me to to ask about, um, first, like, how did you get into, into, into the world of therapy and mental health? Like, what set you on this journey to be so studious? And also, Oftentimes, I, I notice like people who are super studious and so scholarly and have all these years of school, um, they don't, they, they miss the gap between being intelligent versus being wise, mm. you know, and you are fucking wise, I can tell just by how you live and how you speak. And the, 
the emanation of playfulness and the emanation of the, the, the vibrancy and vitality that comes through you, through the screen. I can tell that that is a motherfucker that's embodied, you know? <laughs> so glory, hallelujah. May yeah. the blessings of all the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and all <laughs> celestial beings continue to rain upon you, honey, because it is beautiful when we meet somebody who's embodied. It's a, it's a very rare gift. I'm sure you hear this often. People benefit just by being in your presence. And that's what being embodied means. So speak to that. Like, what led you into the world of, of therapy and mental health? Uh, love the question. And thank you. I receive, learning to receive instead of, no, no, no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Um, it was fucked up in my, you know, growing up. It was fucked up. That's that's how. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, we, yeah, you know, like, okay, no, keeping it very as clear and succinct as I can make it, right? Because then my my team, my answers are like, oh, say this, say this. And I'm like, no, 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 that's what we're going to focus on. Yeah. What I can tell you is um, I saw a lot and felt a lot and received a lot as a kid. Call it what you want. Empath, intuitive, pick a, pick a something. Traumatized, maybe a little bit of everything. Um, you could put a label on it, but any way you cut it, I would see little entities outside the window, four years old, you know, I would get a little tortured. I couldn't sleep at night. There was a lot, you know, there was a lot happening and a lot wasn't fully believed or adults were scared. Uh, quick little story, kindergarten. I don't remember this, but my family tells it with like a lot of jokes. Um, kindergarten teacher, um, I could take the abuse. Interesting, right? We can talk about that at another podcast, another show. <laughs> I could take the abuse. But when it came to like my friends, I didn't like them being picked on when it wasn't just like fair. I was always like a fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Um, and the teacher was really snapping that day. Normally she was like, cool. And she was snapping at my friends. And I said, Miss so-and-so, you're just upset because your husband's cheating on you. And that's not our fault. And, th 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 and apparently he was. Okay. Apparently he was. And then I got sent to the principal. She And there, at that time, right, there were no cell phones. There were no beepers. There was, there's no way for me to know that. And maybe it was an accident, but, and then they like sent me to get these tests. I'm like, what's going on? How does she know these things? Um, and I remember wishing it away because it got too big and it got really intimidating and I didn't know what to do with it. And I had no one to talk to about it. I don't think that my story is a lone one. I know many people and many people accidentally find me and work with me that have been on that path in some way, shape or form, whether they see colors, shapes, they hear things that are not there, whatever. So as time went on, I realized that um, me being in my own accidental group therapy in college became this window. Like I found a group of people that were amazing. We were doing education on safe sex and this and queerness and love and, you know, all of this stuff. And in the meantime, we found community and it was role modeling. I saw how healthier relationships looked. Our wife's everybody liked this person and felt safe with this person. How my chip and my shoulder pushed people away. You know, I started seeing myself, the mm -hmm. universality, but also like, oh, that's what a friend does. Interesting. You know, I started learning by watching. And I sort of wanted to replicate what I received in that it was a peer education group. Mm -hmm. And throughout the years, as I realized like, oh, I'm going to be a therapist. A lot of times it, it was first generation, everything, you name it. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get my master's or doctorate. And everyone's like, oh no, you are, we need you. Like 
you're smart and you're from the hood and you have heart and you know, like, we need you. And I'm like, but then as I started doing the work and the trauma, my trauma <laughs> and my wounded parts were up against the youth, the children's, the people in prisons, their wounded parts. And it was addictive. And I don't think anyone talks about that as much, right? Like, I don't think, I'll, oops, sorry, this is Siri. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a lot of therapists talk enough about it's not exploitation because it's like, we're still giving and giving and giving and giving. But as one of my teacher healers had said years later, it was like, it was like, I was a cow that after 20 years of doing this work, right? Like starting at like 21, 22, I had no more milk to give. And so what happens to cows when Mm. there's no more milk, then they start bleeding out. And I think that it was a trauma response to become a therapist, to be honest with you. I think that it was part of my response to just keep taking care of everyone, like other women in my family line, especially my mother's line. Um, And I think that when I started involuntarily allowing back in spirit, you know, um, and I went to CIS for my doctoral program and, you know, seeking, seeking this sort of like, spiritual container but I wanted the container to be like a nice shape (laughs) but any of us that are on the spirit ride universe ride god ride knows that there ain't no shape and usually there's no handlebars and sometimes there's not a harness right (laughs) and it just rocks you um and so that's the short of it is that um you know, I sort of thought I needed to find my confidence and that people would respect me when I was finally like Dr. Jen. And the reality was um, more of my shadow shit came up than ever when I became a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, oh, you're a student, right? I was like, no, I'm actually teaching the course. Oh, you're so young. Let me consider young. I'm 40 something. <laughs> what are you talking about, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's like a little short of it. And um, with that, allowing in any, when folks started to see me, I started seeing pieces of myself in them. I started seeing pieces of myself and my students and my clients and my, just like, whoa. And that they needed space to get really fucking angry safely, right? So that they're not wiling out on someone and going to prison, right? They needed space to cry and sob and vomit on retreats. Go ahead, do, do your piss on yourself. We'll take care of it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and I needed that too when I didn't have that. And so, yeah, that's a little bit. Mm, That's so beautiful. Thank you. And, and I got to say, that's a trauma response. So that's a one that's like beneficial, you know, one that's actually like uh, liberatory and one that's actually healing. You know, I think um, for me, it wasn't necessarily uh, um, seeking to help other people right away. It was seeking to help myself. I was in such a, a low place, so confused, navigating addiction, depression, anxiety, addiction, depression, anxiety. And these three little sisters would just like take over my life. And that was like the running of the show. And I just rehearsed addiction. I rehearsed depression. I rehearsed anxiety for so long that I didn't know is it that it's possible to not be uh, constantly, um, you know, letting uh, these passing waves run and ruin the show of my life. So, yeah. and then through the the liberation that came from awareness and and liberation practices, um, I it, then it became a natural next step. I was like, oh wow, if I'm getting free with this, 
then I think I can help other people become free. But it was what I'm telling you at the beginning. It was like the embodied freedom that was happening. And then it emanating this. It started to emanate and ooze this nectar of safety and, and, and nonviolence and restoration. So everywhere I went, people were kind of gravitating towards. They were like magnetized towards. And, and I, I speak about magnetism and, and, and charisma in my new book because I think people think it's it's like a, a sort of like a biological thing. If it's not in your family, if it's not in your genetic makeup, then you don't have it. And mm. I'm saying absolutely not. I think it's a it's a definitely a rehearsed, learned trait, a spiritual, liberatory quality that has to be rehearsed. And when it's rehearsed enough, then you are this embodiment of peace. And we're all craving peace. We're all craving presence. We're all like the 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 moth to the flame, and the flame is present. So we're all just you know, insatiably craving people who are in the present moment because we know that's our natural state. We just have rehearsed chaos and rehearsed being disembodied for so long that we don't know anything else. How else to do it, you know? Um, so thank you for, for speaking to that. And and you already kind of touched upon like mystical experiences from a very young age. It's something I ask, uh, you know, the opinion on the guest on the show. It's I think it's really important to speak to that and and not to immediately pathologize mystical experiences as a degree of of you losing your mind. But in ancient cultures across the East and the West, you know, um, it, it, the the healers did see things. You know, the the shamans, the mystics, the sages, the saints, they were operating multiple realities at once and. And they were getting the downloads that that person's husband was cheating on them and that thing was happening and that was a person passing by in a window. And I'm getting chills, I'm saying this. And because mommy and daddy and caretaker didn't see that that spirit passing by, then they're like, oh my God, poor thing. She's losing her shit. Let's get her. Let's walk the path of, of pathologizing this gift, you know? So there's a very fine line there, but I think it's like, I forget what they say, but it's like the, the fine line between like, uh, saints and and uh, I forget the quote, but it's um, saints and insanity. It's a very fine line, you know. It's kind of a matter of perspective, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that you spoke to this. Is there another mystical experience that you want to share with us? Because I think I want to just invite more of this into the space. And it's not necessarily that that like we need to know that the black Madonna appeared in your living room at night, honey, or that the Buddha was hiding under your bed. But you know, what is the tea? Like, tell us a mystical experience. Yeah. Um, so one of my uh, kind of favorite experiences is um, I, I was partying a lot, right? Like as, as a city kid, a New York City kid. And, and Jer I lived in Jersey, grew up in Jersey, but like, 10 minute train ride. And that's right. We're in college with my good friend, Renata shout out. She's probably listening. She'll be listening to this. Um, and instead of like getting fucked up and, you know, go, I, I decided to take up this woman who happened to be in my research ma master's methods class. Right. And I was struggling on a test like three days before. And I pulled out my crystal from like stick stones and bones. And if anyone knows stick stones and bones, Christopher street, shout out to you. <laughs> and I, I pulled out like my one little crystal and I put it on the thing, like, please. Cause I was always horrible in math. And, and, and I hear pss, pss. <laughs> like what? And I looked down and she holds, she's like, she holds the same crystal out. Right. Um, this like very 
hippie white woman mm-hmm. and majority kids of color in our, in our college and she just sort of like hey girl and I'm like oh okay so we talk afterwards and she's like oh you know come to this address blah 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 and I'm like oh it's a Friday night I got plan. so fast forward me and my friend I'm like let's go to this thing let's go to this thing I don't know she said shaman something or another now mind you I have shamans curanderos in my own family but it was something that they, as, as you sort of alluded to, right? Like my family tried to disown that and not talk about that. I'm the one like, no, 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 no. What was this? What was that? Da, 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 right? Um, but the time it's like, be more American, be more passing, right? Like we don't want to talk about all that indigenous black stuff back there, right? And so we go and it's like on posh Fifth Avenue and we're walking in the doorman's looking at us with like our little skirts <laughs> totally my back my boots right silver everywhere then we walk up the stairs and it was like just a shift and we get there and three cats come up right to me and twirl around me and my friend and one of them stands there and looks up at me and is like meow and I went oh that's Bastet that's that's goddess Bastet right like I was like that is an incarnation that little being right there and I don't even know why that when I tell you, if you would have known me that, like, I don't know why that shit came out of my mouth. And my friend looks at me and, and then the woman, they all went, we were just speaking of her magic. We were, And so they invite us in. We were like, they placed us on this beautiful, these, the most beautiful couch. Who knows how many thousand dollars it was. And literally, um, it's the first time I experienced drumming. It's the first time I experienced a shamanic journey with all these various strangers of different cultures, identities. And literally when I opened my eyes, the cat, and for me, it was a spiritual experience, right? Like the cat is like right in front of me. And I looked at the cat and I feel like I saw, I didn't feel like I saw um, who they were in one particular incarnation or lifetime, you know? And I, and I never shared the details because it felt really intimate. <clears throat> and I saw who I was to them. And I saw why they were like happy to engage with me again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And I also saw um, a flash, even though I couldn't put words to it, of like literally what, not what I'm doing with you right now, but like what I'm doing today, wow. which is like talking about this intersection of, you know, ancestry and the political and, you know, fairness and, uh, psychology and the collective trauma shadow pain. And, and I couldn't put it into words. So even if I tried to write it all down, it would never have, but literally this like sphinx, like hairless cat kind of looking cat. Uh-huh. <laughs> very, very alien, very alien. Yeah. Just looked at me and said meow. And I felt like I dove into something and went somewhere else. And so uh, over time, I realized that um, animals, would come to me in that way, or I'll feel very attached to animals in that way. Um, And that oftentimes when I'm sitting with someone, when I'm feeling it, it's coming in from this side, right? Um, That it's not my stuff and it's not for me, like when it's coming from the other side. Um, And I also realized to stop minimizing that, that I don't don't have to just be a psychologist or I don't just have to be um, an activist. I don't just have to be, like, maybe it's a little bit of everything. And who said, honey, that we have to like fit it in boxes, right? And so that's what these these eyes and that vision showed me is like paradigm crush it, like be a paradigm Mm. crusher, like break that, fuck that shit up. Like, 
because that's how I thrived. And that's why perhaps hypothetically, I was revered in that lifetime because I said things that other people were feeling or were sort of afraid to say. So seeing that petrified me. <laughs> I didn't touch it for years. Like it wasn't like, oh yeah, let's get it, right? Yeah. Didn't touch it for years. I pushed it down and it opened something in me that allowed for future things. So mm, wow, thank you. Yeah, that's delicious. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Yes, honey. Okay, let's talk about ancestral trauma. Um, and specific uh, especially for queer, indigenous, black, and brown people, um, all people of color. Can you speak yeah. to that? Yeah. Oh, where do I start? Okay. So for me, when I start talking about ancestral trauma with anybody that I'm working with, my students, whoever, um, the first thing I like people to do is like drop into their lineage, their people, right? So I think that's mm -hmm. the first thing. It's oftentimes when I'm working with folks, um, you know, students are just like, okay, and I'm like, no, 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 no. What do your ancestors ask of you first? Oh, I don't know my ancestors. Right, right. But first we have to, <laughs> right? Like, oh, my my lovely one. First thing we need to do is drop, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like sit into it for a second um, and ask a question. Like get crystal freaking clear um, because I believe that, I can't speak for everyone's ancestors, but our many of our ancestral lineages um, that we may want to hear from that are that are more elevated um want to communicate but we're just so busy with the noise and we're even even with meditation i remember when i first started meditating i'm like i'm meditating I'm meditating mm, okay i'm thinking of a spiral i'm thinking of this kundalini and not that that's not important sometimes but you know like overdoing it right and, and so i asked folks to first like invite in and i even ask anybody that's listening as to kind of have some reverence, light a candle, light some incense, like have a moment to understand that when we start to speak of them, we invoke, right? And that our words are power. Um, and so I believe that there are many things that happen to a lot of our different lineages, ancestries, and people, some of which were really fucking awesome. And many of which um, caused displacement from original homelands, um, many of which um, meant that one or more family members were leaving children, right, behind or sending children forward. Displacement, disconnection, dissociation, you feel me? Right? Um, and we, and hence why I talk about colonization, right? It's not just to use a word, but it's like, that's why I talk about colonization as that soul wound, that root, right? And some of my friends might even say, oh, there's celestial, you know, pain and disconnect, but I'm not getting into that today. <laughs> so that ancestral trauma is about this dis disassociation, disconnect, dismemberment from some of our original ways of knowing, practicing, being, embodying, like literally, literally, right? Literally, like it doesn't even have to be super complicated. And so I believe when many of our people in lineages um, have also died along the way, like, so let's say acts of colonization has forced people, even though they think, oh, I'm just going to coming to the States or I'm going to Canada for a better life. Well, most of us don't want to leave our families, right? <laughs> so stuff happened. I'm not going to get into it, right? But let's be clear that that 
Think about the heart-wrenchingness. Think about the goodbyes. I'm getting goosebumps. Oof, okay. Think about the tears that have, you know, think about the kids screaming and pulling on their fathers or mothers or caretakers. Don't leave, Thea. Don't leave, Papa. Don't, you know. So we're not just talking like, oh, yeah, families were separated. That was a whole tidal wave, right? And it continues to be. It's not done. We see it. Haitian, Mexican, we see it throughout the world. And so this disconnect continues to then create small um, pieces of shame, right? Oh, we were talking about before, right? Rage, sometimes, sometimes I hear that with people right off the bat, they're like, oh, the officer separated me and my mother as soon as we came to the States. They grilled my mother for four hours. I see her in a clear window screaming and crying and clawing at herself. I'm thinking she's in trouble, right? This is just the migration experience. Right. And this is only 12 years ago. This is we're not talking about 50, 60, 80 years ago. The chills that I have are absurd <laughs> just because I've lived through all of this, too. So mm. I know the exact experience, you know. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And so ancestral trauma is deeply tied in with migration trauma for many people. Forced migration trauma. Again, even if a person thinks I'm going for a good reason. But again, do we really ever want to leave, right? Uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And that ancestral trauma also, um, and I get reminded very often, is one in which certain feelings, emotions, simple accesses, simple pleasures, simple needs are not met, right? Like they're not met. And instead, in order to get simple, basic needs, individuals um, in our ancestry, in our line, are often instead met with, um, you got to work harder, or you got to just do it this way, or you're too lazy, or pick another bale of cotton, or I'm going to whip you, right? Like, or da 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 da. And so that gets transmitted to us direct or indirectly, psychologists would say, so consciously or unconsciously, any way you want to cut it, right? That gets transmitted. And think about the people that that happened to. Think about how they might parent or caretake probably not warm and fuzzy, right? Probably not full of healthy boundaries, but also listening to children. <laughs> probably not looking at how their child's tantrums are triggering their own and how they're projecting their own anxiety or whatever, right? Um, and so we start seeing this, I kind of see it like a spiral, like morph and pass down. And so, yeah, we, with that ancestral trauma is the wisdom, music, art, um, the way that we overcame things, the way, you know, you see synchronization with like African spirituality and some of Latino spirituality and Arab and right, you start seeing this, this mix and this different um, kind of embodiment of what spirit may look like now, but there's also a lot of hiding. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, as we shame, a lot of rage, a lot of deep, deep soul seated grief. I'm talking lower pelvis area. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that I tell folks is like, pay attention to also um, where maybe a little excess weight lands. And that might look different on different bodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> might look like a little bit or like a lot of it, mm -hmm. right? On, on the soul seat, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I never, like that point down there, right? That's and for right, some, not right. all it's womb space, but that creative sacral orangey space. Um, and that ancestral trauma in my work and what I receive and in my experience desires a few things. One, to be fucking heard, right? Yes. Right? To um, be metabolized 
<laughs> and like removed, released, received, and like the thematic piece that you were talking about, the regulation. That's why so many of us are talking about, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fix, fawn. Like we're, we're talking about these embodiments because the shit is real and because that is ancestral healing, right? So I, I don't think that any of my grandmothers were really regulated. Their nervous systems were never regulated. My mother's nervous system, I, because we have a relationship, I help her regulate, co-regulate. She gets on the phone and this one, this one, that one. I said, Ma, <laughs> can we take a breath together? I love you. Did you do your practices this morning? Did you do the clearing? Oh, what's up? I can't find the YouTube. And then I'm like, <laughs> right? So thank goodness my mother chooses to grow with me because I can't be close to someone like that if they're not going to try to regulate and try to pay attention to how our ancestry and lineage dictates how our relationship plays the fuck out. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm making sense. I'm not going to. Oh my to- God, you're okay. making so okay. much sense that I'm just like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I wish we had like hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to have to have you back on the show because this is so juicy. So step one uh, or, or first thing I, I kind of want to reflect back to you and to the listeners too, in my own understanding, do you think that that the 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 first thing to do to kind of um, get to know our ancestral wounds is, I guess, twofold is like, you know, getting quiet and, and asking and also perhaps getting to know your family tree, perhaps getting to know your lineage. And as you're talking, you know what's something that's been coming up to me so so much as you're speaking? And I was like doing my best effort to like come back to the present moment and just receive what you're saying and listen and be in my heart, not being in my stories. But my grandmother kept coming into me and, and my grandmother took her own life. You know, mm-hmm. she, she unalived herself uh, when she was, when my mom was only 11. And then my grandfather then 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 passed two years later. So my my mother grew up without after she was by the time she was thirteen she didn't have any parents, you know. And at eleven years old she went to play with her, her friends at at a building next door. Literally, grandma said, "Go play with your friend who lives at the building next door." And after grandma seeing her from the window, waving her, watching her walk across the street onto the building, after grandma knew that she was safe into that in, on that friend's house, she then takes the gun. And for everyone listening, trigger warning here, but you're, you're in the show, you know, the tea is hot here. So just like, please be seated and open your heart, you know, get out of your stories, just like receive the the collective pain as part of your own pain as, as a listener. Um, and, and she, and then she took the gun and, and, and shot herself, you know, when, and my mom's brother, and I'm getting really emotional. She, he comes into the, into the room and sees her agonizing on the floor still with the last few moments of life in her. And, and then my mom comes home. She's walking back from her friend's house. And she sees the ambulance and, and the police and all of it there. And she knew in that moment that mom wasn't there anymore, that her mom was gone. And then her father didn't have the tools or the and the vocabulary to explain to her what happened. And, and then imagine this young girl being shoved around people's homes because she's now on her way to being an orphan. So I, I, I am, I am very aware of 
of my grandmother's pain as so deep in my experience, so deep in my psyche. And the suicidal ideation is so part of my experience. And that choice to stay alive is for her too. And for, and for everyone who couldn't, you couldn't, who, who did the thing, you know? Um, so I'm very aware that every day that I choose to be here, every day that I choose to educate and be educated and become free, I'm doing it for her too. But as you're talking, one thing that I realized that it's, whew, that it's missing in my, that it's missing in my path is, um, is communicating to her, with her, and bringing her into my altar and bringing her into my, into my mm -hmm. daily practice. I think I often put the saints and sages and the, and the gurus and the beings mm -hmm. that I deem to have been realized as the ones to ask for guidance, as the ones to please take over my mind, take over my body, take over my heart. But who am I to say that grandma didn't and doesn't hold tremendous cosmic wisdom, you know? Um, so as you're talking, I'm just being, that's why I'm so moved by what you said, because it's, it's something that I feel, um, perhaps I felt, um, you know, pity, and perhaps I felt um, shame, perhaps I felt anger, and I've navigated through all of this, you know, and, and, and not to open an entire other door here, but I, I'm, I, I even forgot what I was, the, the question was, but I mm -hmm. think, um, I think it's getting to know our family tree, getting to know our lineage, you know, and I, it wasn't until I had done enough self-work, enough liberation practices that I then had the curiosity and the audacity to get out of my own way and sit with my mom and my uncles and anyone who was alive and ask them questions about grandma and, and, and grandpa and and, and their parents and their lineage and get to know that there were these wild witches and mystical beings in my lineage and people who it said that that one uh, uh, aunt could move things across the room with mm -hmm. her mind, you know, and like, I don't say that I don't say this as like um, as a myth as in not true, but I just say this as a, as, as, as a beautiful story that is as real as it gets to me in my heart, I know that there was these powerful sages in my lineage, you know? So two sides, right? Calling in the, the benevolence and, and also processing the rage and despair and the guilt. Can you speak to this? And this will be where we leave off. So go, go off my dear. And thank you for <laughs> witnessing in my, in my process oh. just now. No, I wanted, I wanted to thank you for your transparency and vulnerability and, and modeling that. And, and I know that that is part of who you are and how you move. And, and it's one of the things that I um, excites me about you and, and grounds me, you know, makes me feel good. Um, and I also wanted to say that, yeah, um, although this is going to sound, I hope this is, yeah, what, what I can't move on without saying also um, is that even in folks perhaps in our lineages or current lifetimes that have decided to take their lives and decided not to continue that, um, that maybe that there was wisdom in that too. Right. And I kind of heard you saying that, and I know that that sounds mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? And what are we trying to say to the world? And it's like also yeah. honoring people's agency 
Um, and of course, offering help and glad that you're here and others are here and I'm here, Lord knows, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I, I really could have not been many times and those dark months of the soul, yeah. right? How, how deeply they are. But um, I would like to also believe that as folks cross or not or hang or whatever it is that we believe in, right? Or come back or, you know, kind of be recycled, so to speak, that there is also this... Um, passing it on in order to sort of regenerate and do it differently. So I don't, I don't know. I felt like that, that was just, I just needed to say that for some Thank reason. You. Thank yeah. You. And yeah. it requires a really wise mind to hear the implicit truth in what you said, you know, cause it's really profound what you said. So thank you. It, it, it opened up something in me as I'm hearing it. Um, so please carry on. I just wanted yeah, to, to just witness and, and just uh, validate what you said. It's, it's really hard for the survivors uh, to hear that um, yes. and people who stay when they've gone, uh, that perhaps there is, you know, perhaps this was their run, you know, perhaps it was meant to go up into that place and and regenerate and, and, and something new to be to be born, you know. Yeah. That, that anger and everything else and the grief is also very valid with right. It's all and all yeah. and it's. So um, to be real, I think I, for, I forgot the last question. <laughs> no, that's okay. We, we've gone through many different ways. I think, I think what I was saying, what I was kind of uh, asking was, you know, how do we um, become aware of our ancestral wounds? And how do we use the ancestral wisdom to engage in present reality? You know, mm-hmm. given how fucking chaotic everything is, especially <laughs> for us. And I don't mean to say specially as like, we are more traumatized than you are, but just like the current systems that are at play are marginalizing brown, black, and, and queer bodies. Uh, factually, it's not, an, it's not a, you don't have to look very, very far to just see that we are in the front lines of trauma. Um, and, our, and our people are the ones that are incarcerated, are the ones who are um, at the forefront of the, and I'm getting so emotional again. Oof. Yes. Are the ones who are filling up the prison system and they're the ones that are are you know living out the trauma and making the mistakes and we're not giving them the chance to be restored and rehabilitated and <sighs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah. yes. Thank you. Yes, thank you for the question. And again, the the vulnerability and and I want to say like that's how. Like I, I almost feel like, like we couldn't. Did y'all plan this? Like what? <laughs> like like I think that you you were you and I in our conversation is perhaps a, a small sliver, an example of the embodiment of how that ancestral trauma slash wisdom that that soul wounding becomes the fodder, the 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 fertilizer, right? To our wildflowers. Um, because what we're requiring um, is an internal like evolution and I've been saying this and I say this in in my current book like there's an internal evolution needed for the larger revolution right there's an internal one that needs to happen and I think that many of our teachers and sages have said something like this for eons this is not new however what I, first I must say is what I believe is happening is that collectively, like our ancestors' laments, pain, stuff 
like we're more prepared than our perhaps our caregivers, our aunties, our parents, our theos, theas were to hold all this shit. Like their strength might have looked a little different than our main collective strength looks like. And so that's something that I think at a very young age and as a therapist, you know, that was really into group. I could see right off the bat is like, oh, we're not that little being right there. They can cognitive distortion and magnification all the way home (laughs) for eight years straight like I was. And I'm still feeling this deep, deep grief. And I don't know what teacher said, is this yours? And I remember like, like, like gagging. I was like, oh shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> my body's having a reaction to that question. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I, I want to put that out there before I forget too. Like that question, I don't know who first said it. I don't know who received it first. I, I, I don't think it was me, right? But like, is this yours? Is this yours? And if we're moving and trying to answer that from the intellectual, we're not really going to get a response, right? But if we can like, right, as you were, it's mm-hmm. not all yours. Mm-hmm. Right? You felt mm-hmm. you were feeling it in time. Mm-hmm. You're I, I saw mm-hmm. you, right? Like I feel it all the time when I talk about it, right? Like, which is why sometimes I go deep within <laughs> and then I come out <laughs> because it's like, whoa, this isn't all mine. And I don't need to heal it all because that's near gosh damn impossible. And I'll be like digging all the time and sad and deep and hard to to like really feel the lightness. And you know, what is coming up in my relationships and my job and my business and my body? Like, what are the things that are coming up? Like the big bad wolves that are literally, as you were speaking about with your process with addiction and depression and so on, what is eating me alive? And what am I here to start kind of slaying, right? With my ancestral, I like to imagine like ancestral machete or sword, right? Like, what am I like, ah, (laughs) hacking through? And am I hacking through it? Maybe this year is compassion and love and forgiveness. And I seem really light and cute. And maybe next year I'm going to look like Baba Yaga, right? <laughs> you hear me? Like, energetically, maybe it's going to be like darker and more Scorpio season energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in very tangible ways, yes, this ancestral work is all around us. Whether you're atheist, spiritual, this, that, we can't deny that people came before us. And that there are impacts epigenetically, through role modeling, intrapsychically, that there are impacts on our DNA gene mitochondrial expression. I don't want to get too nerdy, right? On how we engage in real time and definitely on how trauma is metabolized or not in our physical bodies, as well as etheric, astral, right? We can keep going. And so I believe, yes, the quieting. And it doesn't have to look like meditation. Sometimes I would put on music that I never heard my family play, but there was something about the drums and the incantations. And speaking of some of the Orisha, like I would get emotional. I would start moving in ways that I was like, if I let myself, because sometimes the mind wants to be like, oh, don't do that, girl. What is that? Right? Like, right? That conditioning, that old, oh, that's dark. That's, it's not though, right? It's not. And so what if, I can sit in this. And then with the sitting, there might be movement. There might be humming. One of my best friends rocks back and forth all the time when she's really agitated and we would joke with her. And now years later, we see that it's also when she's most like channeling. She won't call it that, but she's giving it straight and she's speaking with truth and she's confident and she's sitting up straight, but she's my other friend hums. 
and mm-hmm. eats pickles when she's in that quiet zone, believe it or not, right? Mm-hmm. The other piece is also, though, acknowledgement. And acknowledging sometimes, sometimes it is when this process is coming up, I find that we accidentally find an old picture. We, a family member randomly tells a story we never heard. So I can't always handhold guide people through it. I remind folks, the more we're willing to open to it, the more the synchronicity, the ancestor, however we want to call it, will give us something to work with. Does that make, mm-hmm. right? Like they'll give us mm-hmm. something. Somehow it will Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. So then when that shows up, I believe they frequently say the request is to acknowledge us, but to spend some time getting to know us, right? And, and so that might not always, you know, it's not always going to look like finding things in the newspapers or in a microfilm or something, because a lot of our people, that was taken away from us. And that's part of what colonization did. It was like cut right? And extract some of that storyline and some of the richness of our soil, of our fabric, of our storylines, but start getting curious. Every morning I write um, my elevated ancestors, what would you like me to know today? Right? Every single morning, or I say it sometimes if I'm rushing or I'm on a train or whatever, I can still clear around myself, put a little bit of a shield mesh protection. So I'm still letting in good and just like Elevated ancestors, what would you like me to know today? And now at this point, almost instantaneously, I receive. Mm. Even if it's like something to the extent of, please continue writing that. Or please continue talking about that, even though that was really uncomfortable for you. Or you you know what it is about a friendship situation, right? Like you don't have to keep asking because girl, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like it, it's run its course or days when you're dating or whatever, whatever. Like what's happening with my cat? Is she well, right? Like. You know what's happening. The aging process is happening. Be with it. Start grieving now. (laughs) So the things that I'm trying to avoid will just slip in gently. And so if Mm -hmm. we're not, as you said, like in that wise mind, and we're not sort of using your words, like we're not um, giving ourselves a certain grounding all the time, and we're not like tethering to source, earth, whatever, from time to time, it's going to be hard to hear it. Um, And then the last thing I will say is to feel and pay attention and get curious. So I ask people I work with to be um, like their own social scientist, right? To be like curious lovers and observers of their own emotions. So all last year, when all this anxiety was coursing through my body, um, I was like, okay, these are all the reasons this might be happening. Why do I feel like I'm about to have a panic attack? The first time I've helped people with panic attacks my whole career, right? But like, I'm at a party. I'm around people I like. They love me. What? What's why I have to get out of here now? Roaming around, lost my car for an hour. Can't even cry. Can't call anyone. I'm like, oh shit, this is a panic attack, right? And then it gets worse. Like I think this is a panic attack, right? So it's like, am I always gonna get panic attack? And what is this about? Was it the people? Was it the energy? Was it right? Started story story, story. Um, And so I invite those of us that are in those big ass fucking emotions to, again, if you can, if you can, to get that space or to write down the question somewhere, like, is this all mine? Sometimes some of that pops that bubble, not always. Next for me is what am I not wanting to see? Or what am I not wanting to feel? What am I not wanting to do that is causing this much Tasmanian devil energy up in my fucking life. And then another one is um, 
like how might I need to move or move my body, right? Sometimes it's stomping, right? Sometimes hatting, I've been really getting into like Prune Harris. I don't know, (laughs) Prune Harris, uh, Donna Eden's like energy work and um, certain like tapping and moving things in the meridians and like Mm -hmm. really, it's really been helpful for me because some of us, and I need to say this for some reason, um, a lot of times people talk about like shields or protection. If you're working with people a lot, there's a lot of energy, but that like, it never worked for me. And I felt broken and I felt like I was doing something wrong until I understood that if I put too much of a bubble or a shield or protection, goodness wouldn't come into, and then my team wouldn't come into, if I, if I shielded too hard, right. Love wouldn't come into, right. <laughs> Money wouldn't come into, dot, 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 dot. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like, oh, I'm going to absorb anyway, honey. I'm going to absorb. It's 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 how I'm wired, right? Like from my booty to my head, right? Like I'm going to absorb. But my work and my ritual and my practice is for me personally, Jennifer, have to take that shower at the end of every night if I've engaged with anybody, even one person, even my mother, right? Like I have to take a shower and go through my own process, pat. I let go of all that energy, da, 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 stomp, sometimes singing, sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, mm-hmm. sometimes it's singing some gangster rap, right? <laughs> Remember who the fuck I am, right? Like sometimes it is crying to Evanescence and Coldplay in the shower, like sitting there rocking back and forth. What bad bitch do I need to be today, right? But it is like allowing that, Ritual. And so I just need to say that with the ancestral work, we can become antennas. We can, uh, they're showing, open up and peel and become this really beautiful, juicy conduit of blank, 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 of goodness, of art, or whatever your your thing is, your jam is. But we also have to, I think, improve our energy hygiene and improve and really take care of to make sure um, that we're not just trying to metabolize and digest and fix everybody's emotions around us because we can. I know I can. I, but probably you can too. <laughs> I get that. I get that. I get that sense. So I know I went off on a tangent, um, but I do think that our ancestors um, are more present now because there's a little bit less fear um, because there's a desperation in the air and it tastes metallic almost right mm-hmm. um i think that there's more of that present today because there's a desire to know and because we see the climate crisis right we see parent earth deeply 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 struggling and we see that our emotional mental health collectively and individually is literally like little frayed strings not all of many of us right and and so they're just, I believe, a reminder, many of them, not all, to like, A, continue to help elevate the ones that are not in great places, right? Not always invite them in, but to like pray for them, light a little bit, a candle for them, whatever it is, but also B, trust ourselves more, like trust our intuition more, trust what's coming up in our bodies more. And the more that we can, as you beautifully show us all the time, scream in the rain, honey, yes, yelling, mm-hmm padding, whatever we need, the more we can get messy and silly and um, a little more uninhibited. Because I think you beautifully show so many of us, you've Mm -hmm. definitely given me that permission, the more that they can come through too. 
because it doesn't always make sense in a way that we're already, oh, like beautiful mind. I want it to look like this, or I want you to come to me in a song. Sometimes I'm listening to some old 80s club kid, queer, cute song. I don't know, Depeche Mode, some shit. I don't know what it comes out. And then I start sobbing. I, I know one of my ancestral songs, don't laugh at me. You can laugh, you can laugh. It's like Bizarre Love Triangle. <laughs> I don't know the song. I should look. Every time I think of you, my heart, like literally I will sob and I will sing at the top of my lungs because I know that that's one of the ways that they, they're reminding me. They're seeing me. I'm seeing them. And so find those fun, cute ways that we don't have to just hold the trauma like a, and the shame and the rage and the, right? We can dance with these big emotions. Ah, you already show us, right? We can dance with them. We can be with them. We can breathe them the fuck out. Yeah. And we could like live in joy and in pleasure too. Mm -hmm. I think they really want that for us. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Thank you so much. You are a jam in the highest, most beautiful, delicious, iconic form. Thank you for all this wisdom. Thank you for all this, you know, deep embodied, uh, really profound wisdom. Thank you. Truly. I'm like, ah. Thank you you for having me. And thank you for the work you do in the world. Thank you so much for creating these spaces. Oh, thank you so much, my love. Thank you for being on the show and everyone listening. Wow. Take all this in, my dear, and drink a lot of water and, and, and just really like let this, this information integrate and, and, um, and yeah, but open yourself up, open yourself up to this new, if you're listening to this right now, it means that you're ready to receive this information and, mm-hmm. and process this information and live by this new, um, understanding. So good job to you. Thank you, my love for being on the show. Love you. Mwah! I'm Sadi Simone, and you've been listening to the Spiritually Sassy Show. If you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and reveal this podcast. And join me next Sunday for another spiritually sassy conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and I love you. Bye.